exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM. The Impact. And now, Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. It is the first Tuesday of the month here at Michigan State University, and you know what that means. That means Olin Health Center comes in, and uh, they help me host what is now known as Sexposure. And so uh, today we'll be talking about body image as well as LGBTQ issues. And uh, I'd like everyone in this, in this room to uh, introduce themselves for our listeners. I'm Nick Faust. I'm the chair of the Alliance of Queer and Ally Students through ASMSU. Erica Filipich, Olin Health Center. Marie Bonet, uh, Olin Sexual Health Advocate. Rhonda Bakram, Olin Health Center. Kara Gabris, Olin Sexual Health Advocate. And this is Dr. D from Olin Health Center, and it's good to be here again, Emily, on this fine Tuesday night. Even though we're in competition with a basketball game, we have those avid, responsible, dedicated listeners I'm sure are going to be calling in today, right? And hopefully those listeners are on their way to their polls because they are an hour left. So hopefully we're getting those listeners and hopefully people are voting. Standing in line trying to vote or listening to Impact's exposure, right? That's right. So what are we going to talk about tonight, Marie? We're talking about, as Emily mentioned, uh, body image, and we have our guest Rhonda with us tonight, and uh, talking about LGBTQ uh, issues with our guest Nick tonight. So we're very excited to have them both here. Thank you very much for coming by. And do we do we still have the complimentary prize packs? For Naturally, somebody who calls do we in? still have <laughs> them? That's silly. And what's, what's, what's in the, what's in the prize pack tonight, Marie? We got, what do you got lots of great stuff. Flavored lube, sexual... Wait a minute, you say that every time. I know. Lube. What types of flavors of lubes do we have? I, we have 12 different flavors. 12? 12. 12 different flavors? Do you get to choose? Or do I suppose... Oh, we should have brought some on to let, let yeah. Nick try them oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. That's our initiation. That. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is in the prize pack? We have our Sex Etiquette 101 book. Uh, it's got we, pictures. Yep, pictures. Lots of them. Yes, on <laughs> all aspects of sexual health. Um, we have some Douglas J coupons, and I think we even have duck shirts. Oh, Ooh, we have some of the, the social norm duck, duck shirts. We do. Which ones? The uh, the fall welcome. The fall ones. welcome ones. Mm-hmm. Do we have any more of the Halloween ones? I don't believe so. I think we're out of the fresh Halloween. out of the purple really ones. Very popular. <laughs> popular. So you're calling at four three two three eight nine three because Emily set me up with the number here, so I don't have to turn around and look at it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you call in on any aspect of uh, body image, and then we're talking to. Nick will be also talking about other issues. But So what's the question of the day? Our question of the day this evening is, what is your favorite body part and why? <laughs> but you probably will get another question throughout the evening, so stay tuned in so you can get in on our discussion. And evening. if you call in to answer the question or contribute to the conversation, you get these prize packs Naturally. that you guys are that yes, you guys are that we're, discussing. Yeah. And they're very sought after and they come in very nice little bags. <laughs> yeah. And there's twelve flavors of lubes in there. Twelve in one 12. bag. We'll put twelve we'll in give all of them. Sure. Well, we'll it's getting better all the time. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to stack up the bags today because oh, it's, it's, it's November, right? And so they're complimentary. So so what body part is your favorite? Mm-hmm. What what do we what are we asking people to talk about sexually or just body part or well, you walk around whatever. and say I love that thigh or what <laughs> whatever <laughs> they're up for yeah is I this mean, like one of those questions like are you a butt kind of person or do you like is it that kind of question or is this ab- like obscure well I think it's really easy for people when you ask them what is your least favorite part they can rattle off a whole list mm-hmm. um, I think it's really hard for people to actually think like what well, do I really like you mean your body part on your own body or somebody else's if yeah. you walk along saying I like usually that yours butt, usually yours how about either or or either would work either or. well because I mean you I mean, when you said you're a butt person or whatever, you're thinking, I'm thinking sexually. I'm, no, I'm thinking, thinking what what attracts you to other people. Some some Somebody physical traits. So yeah, someone the butts else. attract you to other well, people. Well, that's that's just the phrase that I <laughs> no. that you often hear. Are you a butt guy? Are you a boob guy? Type right. thing. Yeah. But then so, I start then I then rattling off different body parts doesn't really go with that phrase. Are you a right. nose guy? Ear guy? <laughs> Toe so, guy. So, so they can call in either about their own favorite body part on their their own 
being or mm-hmm. somebody else's, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and you can call in for that prize pack, and the number is 432-3893. And so, you know, I know there's been a lot happening in the last month with uh, really? body image. Rhonda's <laughs> <laughs> on a road tonight. <laughs> uh, I'm a little stressed from finding a parking spot. <laughs> well, we found a parking spot, didn't we? But there's been a lot going on with uh, uh, Ruby and body. And you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, Ruby first? and. Well, Ruby is the uh, res- uh, RSO on campus, Registered Student Organization, which stands for Respecting and Understanding Body Image. It's been around for almost 10 years. Um, so we're an activist group on campus, which I'm the advisor for this group, and we try to promote positive body image relationship with food and sort of challenge sort of misconceptions and myths around those, around those subjects and also give a sort of a resource and referral area for people who are interested in finding out more. And so during October, October 21st was Love Your Body Day, which is a national, I wouldn't say holiday, I don't think there's really Hallmark cards, but <laughs> maybe someday, <laughs> that would be good. But uh, the National Organization of Women sort of, sort of sponsor it, and we do a couple things. One is we did for the second year in a row a Roll Out of Bed campaign where we had the beautiful blue t-shirts um, printed up, courtesy of RHA, and we between 7 and 8 in the morning, which you think is really, really early, and it was really, really cold, on Tuesday, before Love Your Body Day, we were in four spots on campus, and the first 25 people at each spot, which ended up being the first 30 at each spot, got a free T-shirt. And I know I was at Brody about quarter to 7, and um, we already had a line. So by 5 after 7, we were out of T-shirts, nice. which is good. And then we asked everyone to wear them on Love Your Body Day, mm-hmm. which was the next day. The other thing that we did was promote the Fat-Free Talk Week, which is sponsored by Tri-Delta um, Fraternity uh, nationally. And the idea is to try to get people to pledge, even for the rest of the week, to not speak negatively about their own body, which is really hard. And when you were asking people to sign this, they would say, well, I don't really know if I can do that. It tells you how it's so normal in our culture Mm -hmm. to say, oh, I feel fat or I feel disgusting. So we're just asking people to at least think about the words that they used. You know, we have a diverse group of people here, so I'm hoping everyone will join in here. But why would we, Why, Nick, too, why would we need a group like Ruby, Rhonda? I mean, why would we need a group on campus that deals with respecting and understanding body image? I mean, seriously. Well, because body image is what you think you are, what you feel you are, not necessarily what you are. So it's connected to what's in your head, not what you see visually in a mirror. So, for example, the NCHA study, which said almost 70% of students are, are normal, if you use the body mass index as a standard, are at average or normal body mass index or below, but still almost 40% are still trying to lose weight. So they're really disconnected from what they really are, but you know that's, they get that message from a lot of different places. And I think the, another uh, statistic from that study was 17% of students in the last year, 12 months said their personal appearance was a really mm-hmm. traumatic factor for them. What, I, does, know, what does that mean by a traumatic factor? Yeah, that's something we have to ask right. more about, but it really interfered with their life and academics in some way. Mm-hmm. So now that you have that stat, and then next time we do it, maybe we can break it down and, and see where, where that comes from. But I know just from the work that I do on campus that how they feel, how someone feels about how they look can affect everything about how they interact with other people, how well they do in class, if they speak up in class, if what the activities they engage in, even their um, dating sexual relationships, it can have such an impact and then all based on how they feel about themselves. You know, that, that question is surprising because it's the National College Health Assessment that Rhonda is referring to, which we've done for 10 years now, every two years, and it's a new question. Mm-hmm. And it really took me off guard, too, just to consider that there are actually that percentage of students on campus that say their personal appearance caused them traumatized. I mean, it, it, there was trauma. Traumatized is a, is a loaded word. Well, it's yeah. a loaded word, but, you know, Erica and I have been teaching the freshman seminar class, and I think it was about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. we talked about body image. We got them up talking, and it was like every one of them said that they really check at the door their body image before they go out. And that they're very concerned about what other people think about them to the degree that I don't think I've seen in a long time right. in my experience, even being on this campus 25 years. So why has it gotten, I mean, jump in here, but why, why has it gotten to this point? What, so you think it's gotten worse? I, from listening to this freshman and seeing that, you know, when you have all these choices, you can put that would traumatize you and you're putting personal appearance as one that, you know, 
you got finances, you got relationships, you got all these other things, and, and you're to such a high degree of personal appearance. I don't know if anyone. I would just say there's so many factors I think that contributed to that. I mean, even if you look at, well, part of it is we sort of have a second generation of people growing up in a overly body image concerned. I mean, I see a lot of second generation eating disorders, but also second generation where they're very, very weight focused. And when you look at um, body image dissatisfaction, and just in sort of the mid 70s to the late 90s, it went from 25% about to almost 60% in our culture. So that's a huge jump in just that amount of time. If you, and that's not even looking at in the last 10 years, and I would say it's probably even higher. If you look at um, cosmetic surgery or elective cosmetic surgery or Botox or plastic surgery, the amount, uh, the billions spent a year in the, at a time when economically are, you know, most people are in a lot of trouble, that was something that perhaps, I don't know, this year maybe it went down, but before that had continued to increase despite... Wow. The fact that it's elective and mostly not covered by insurance. Do you think it's because it, there's more access to it or that it is an issue? I think people feel like they really can't risk not hmm. doing it. Well, it. I mean, you're just surrounded by it. You know, I went into a bookstore at the beginning of the semester to find my books for class, and you have to walk through this whole section of diet books, you know, and the right when you walk in the door, you know, you have to, like, navigate through them to get to anything else in the store. I mean, it is it is everywhere. I mean, there's racks of them about certain kind of diets and eating and how to lose your belly fat. I'm just shocked. Stuff. I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, but just, you were mentioning just, like, in a store, but, yeah, the checkout line, it yes. is always, always about that. Mm-hmm. Um and that just disgusts me, like, because everyone has to do groceries. Everyone has to stand that line. Everyone's exposed to it. Um, I personally think that they should have little, little vol- vol- volunteer ads there. You know, how can you help the community in the grocery store? I think it would make the world a better place. Yeah, rather right. than just, like, being... Because it's like you have nowhere else to look while you're standing in line but unless you're, like, looking at but the But you little. know, there's a science to it, Emily. I mean, they study what people want. Yeah, they, people yeah want because people that, will actually that, buy it. That's why they put true. it there. I mean, I'd, we'd all love to see volunteerism and save yeah. the world and habitat for humanity, but they put what people want there. So why do people want that. That's a that's good question. question. They yeah. think they need it. I think they. But might what do you mean by that, that Rhonda? What do, you, what do you mean they think they need it? Because I was, I was actually aghast by the freshman in the seminar class who talked. Some, I mean, the guys too. The guys were talking. Yeah, I checked this and I checked that, and I had to make sure that makeup just so, right. You know, the really good question. I mean, I always remember the book, The Body Pro- Project, which talks about if you ask. Um, <laughs> Women, for example, in the 1800s, what they would do to make themselves feel better, they would do something for their family, their church, their community, so it's sort of internally motivated. If you ask them now, they would lose weight, go to the gym more often, change their hair, get different clothes. It's all Mm -hmm. externally motivated. So the question is, how do we go from internal motivation to external motivation in terms of validating yourself? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I get from that. And I think part of this is... And when I talk to a student and I say, you know, think about this. If you someday have a child, um, would you want them to feel that way about their body or to criticize or critique or be to feel this way? And they say, oh, no, I wouldn't want them to feel this way, but I feel like I have to be like this because I live now. And the only way I can compete is to do, to be this um, conscientious in a negative way about it, to be overly concerned about it. Is they're so afraid if they don't, how will they... How will they compete in today's world? But it's, I always say at some point you have to change our culture, and if you can't change it with yourself, how do you change it for the next generation? So. Well, if you have a, if you have a comment on body image or you'd like to uh, answer the question, what's your favorite body part, call us at 432-3893. We have the Marie Prize Pack today. And we'll actually slip on a coupon there for free cosmetic surgery. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. There's complimentary condoms and flavored lube and everything in there. No, but we're talking about this, you know, and, and I, and, and I want to reach across the table and ask Nick, among men, is, is it the same among men? I, I absolutely think so. Um, actually, it's. I feel like it's a common conception that only women struggle with a lot of body image issues, and it's totally not. Um, and I think what's most startling is body image issues within the gay male community. Um, I think there it's particularly prevalent and problematic. Um, you know, me and many of my, my gay male peers struggle with that on a daily basis, and you know, by by 
anyone else's standards were completely normal, but we're constantly criticizing ourselves. So it's, I mean, it's really startling. Actually, I read a statistic on the National Eating Disorder Association website, which said that 40%, 42% of men with eating disorders are gay. That's, that's so yeah. that would pretty much support what you were just sure. saying. In terms so, of Nick, that. what you're saying, you actually critique each other on body appearance or image or, or yourself. Or I think self? it's both, and I think it's it's a kind of cyclical um, in that that you know we we well okay I don't want to speak on on behalf of all gay men, but <laughs> in in my experience with the group of friends that I have associated myself with myself with. Um, I, I kind of notice myself critiquing other people because that's the way that I want to be. And so when I see those people who do embody those traits and I see myself not doing that, then for me it does kind of you know create that inner turmoil. And I don't think that I would go so far as to call it traumatic for me personally. Um, but I can definitely see how that would you know come to be. I mean, so part of the question, Emily, I mean, you know, we, we, we've asked this before, too, is can you stand, in, and Rhonda, I want you to speak to this, can you stand in front of the mirror and the first thought that comes to your mind if you're, if you're, you're naked is that there's, I love my body? Can people actually do that? I think is people it, can. People can do it because usually it seems the first thing that comes to their mind is the things they don't like about their body. They well, never focus on the things they do like about their body. I, I honestly think, I mean, it, this is not a new idea, but just, you know, media. And for me, I'm not, I don't expose myself to a lot of television or magazines or a lot of things like that. Um, so I feel like I have, I, I personally <coughs> do not feel like I have a lot of pressure that, you know, some of my peers may have, because I, I do not expose myself to a lot of that media. And, and I, th I think overall, compared to some of my, my peers, I'm a lot happier. But, well, but, no, I'm just going to say... Because it's it's just that comparison, as yeah. we're talking about. We, speaking of naked bodies, at our last Ruby meeting, we went over to Barnes & Noble and just sit on the floor, and everybody got magazines, and we started, you know, sports magazines, GQ, as well as ESPN, and Sports Illustrated, and, you know, Shape, and Women's Day, and all of the magazines. And we just looked at pictures in them. And there was this one was a sports magazine, and I can't honestly remember which one it was, but it was Olympic or very competitive athletes. And it was pictures of them, but all of them were of them naked. Okay, now, I don't know that that was really necessary to do, but those are the kind of things that make people feel inadequate in and of themselves. I mean, I mean even when you can say rationally that I know that they digitally alter and they have lights and they have air blowing, they have all of the things that may not even be their thigh, you know. But you don't think about that when you're looking at it. <laughs> right. But but you can later go that or you can when someone tells you go, I know, I know, but still the sort of the damage is already done. You're thinking, what can I do to even look close to that? But you know, it's funny because I just saw you know, standing in in the supermarket in the aisle there ready to check out and you see a tablet saying all the celebrities naked and by naked they mean without their makeup with all this stuff and so that's the new naked the new naked is not wearing anything it's something like negative about not wearing makeup or or things like that but let me ask the two of you you're both i mean nick is still a student too but <laughs> both of you are still in the student body do you think the problem is as prevalent as we we talk about it here i mean is there a problem among women with body image oh definitely and um, Carrot can speak to this too. We're dietetics majors, and it just seems like sometimes they're focusing not necessarily on what needs to be focused on, not about as a whole looking at health, but more just weight loss. It's all about weight loss, that's it. So it's, I, yeah, I see it. In my do, do you see as much pressure as like Nick talked about in his peer group criticizing oh. each other and stuff like that? Yeah, and I don't know as much with my friends, but I do see it happening. Well, even just people thumbing through like magazines and seeing, oh, look at that. Oh my gosh, I wish my legs were like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's what I sort of see. Yeah, and I see a lot of comparison just like among um, friend like versus friend like oh my gosh you were so skinny I wish I were like you and it's just I don't know I find that a lot even with both of my friends from Michigan State or if I go back home with my other group of friends same thing 
And you just <laughs> you just push my hot button right there. But I'll tell you, I am a thin person, and I get that a lot. Where people say, "Well, how can you stay so thin?" Listen, I, I don't necessarily want to be thin. I actually wish I could put on weight. But just because I'm thin, I've you know since this miraculous potential and miraculous you know confidence to do this, and and it's like, no, why would you make comments on me? I don't make comments on you. But I get a lot, you know, from, from being thin, saying, you know, I wish I were like you. Oh, you don't. Have a problem with that you can eat what you want yeah yeah but i have my other situation but what yeah and when someone says well you can eat what you want well i say well you can eat what you want too mm-hmm. the thing is you think you can't that's the problem not, not the well, problem when everyone you tells you you can't yeah, yeah and because on, they right? think if you tell them you you can eat what you want that they're just going to inhale food when if food is not an issue they're not going to inhale it so but people always they always say you need control and willpower and discipline and all of that and, and you know and, and Marie when you were talking we're thinking about what fuels all this a lot of it is is really that whole sort of marketing medical message towards obesity and the fear of mm-hmm. obesity we've made a much huger problem of it than it is and people are so afraid of being called fat it's, I mean that is such a negative word can you in say our fat on the air mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic <laughs> it is it has such a negative connotation for it, you know. And once again, four three two three eight nine three. If you want to call in and, and have an opinion on this, or want to answer the question about what body parts you like, but that whole idea of, you know, not talking about fat for a week or or fat talk. I mean, I stood there with some of the folks signed that thing, and it was just amazing to see people, you know, thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, think What about am I it. doing? You know, can I really? Not say for one day. Ooh, how many calories does that have? And you know, it's, or I'm so fat, I'm so disgusting, and or um, this will go right to my thighs, or all that negative stuff. But there was something liberating about it too. Right. The ones people did sign and go, oh, yeah. well, they want I to be able to, talk to about do fat that. for a week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do I talk about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So I mean, you know, yeah. but what is it? You know, we have Love Your Body Day. What, what are you really trying to do? What are we trying to do when we tell people to love your body? Well, if there's some magic fairy dust and I could actually make people do that, that would be great. I think we're, I feel like what we're trying to do is make people think about how they talk about themselves, feel about themselves, and to just challenge the concept that you have to be different, necessarily, but mostly self-acceptance and appreciating diversity in size and size in, in every way, and just saying we don't all have to fit a norm. The thing is to be nice to yourself. To be nice to yourself. Mm. Yeah, that feels good. Well, I mean, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, if, if you want to bring in an aspect of sexuality, well, we say, you know, you really need to, to know your body. You really need to kind of love your body. But that's a hard concept to, to right. make across to people because, you know, if you are, quote, by society standards, overweight or, God forbid, by society standards, obese, how can you find love there? But the thing is, even people who are what? other people idolize don't always love their body. It's not really connected truly to what size you are. It's connected to how you see yourself in your head. And that's where people don't understand. They think it has to be, oh, someone who looks a certain way is going to be really positive and love themselves. And I'll tell you, that's definitely not true. Or if you lose your weight, then all of a sudden you will find you will be in love with yourself, which actually isn't true. People get down there and they realize if you don't like yourself at the higher weight, you're not going to like yourself at the lower weight. Right. Or maybe for five minutes, basically. Yeah. And then you're going to be so worried that you're not going to stay there that it'll, you'll just it'll still continue to be a negative cycle. So, I mean, you can't, I mean, self-help books that say, you know, learn to love your body, well, they're great, but it's a much harder process than that. Mm-hmm. You really have to teach yourself how to, how to really look at media, how to really learn self-acceptance and self-nurturing, how to s- accept who you are genetically as well. So that, because you are basically, a lot of your weight and size is going to be determined by the um, family of origin that you came from. And, and other other factors in your life that may have occurred. But the thing is, you have to learn to sort of be neutral at least for a while before maybe you can get to the point where you can say. Or like you were talking about looking in the mirror. Why look in the mirror and look at only what you don't like? <laughs> you know, if When I've done groups in the past, I would ask someone to, um, here's, a, here's an index card, write up 10, you know, 10 things. If I asked them 10 things they didn't like about themselves, they could fill that up right away. Mm-hmm. Right. But if I asked them to think of even seven, one for every day of the week that you like about your body, they, I mean, it would take half an hour. We would still be, can I do three? You know, it would really be sad, actually. Mm-hmm. We're so conditioned and trained to be critical. Somehow we're a failure. We, there's something wrong if we say, I really like myself. 
Well, if, if we if we criticize ourselves, does it make it easier to accept other people's perception of us? Then, if we're critical, self-critical, does it make it easier when when you go out in public and say, "Are they are they criticizing me? Are they being critical of me?" So you've already you've already judged yourself, so you don't have to worry about what other people think. I think people still worry about what other people think. I don't think that has any impact. And that's what our, you know, our class said is that you know, when we go out, I'm so concerned about what I look like, and then to stop and think that everyone else in the room isn't looking at me, thinking the same thing. Right. They're thinking the same thing about themselves. Like, oh gosh, you know, this person just walked into the room, and what are they thinking about me? And it's just this disgusting back-and-forth cycle. Right. Yeah, it's, it's almost self-indulgent, it ego-oriented, uh, because if you're so worried about what other people think about you, and they're so worried about what you think of them, then everyone's saying, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but, you know, you, I, saw, I saw the two of you react when she said something about liking, liking yourself, so, and you also said self-acceptance, so we're part, we're part of a, a learning media here, too, so how do you get to that point where you start to self-accept your body? How do you get it's there? tough. Yeah. It's a long process, I would think. I mean, but how do you start? I always suggest move to another country. Just high on my list. Surrounding yourself with with positive people yeah. and positive images. You know, not not grabbing for that. You know, tabloid or or yeah, you know magazine. thing at the at yeah. the at the grocery store. You know, right at the checkout line. You know, don't don't go for that. Or you know. Just find good people that, that, that aren't focused on that. Well, I, I want to give the number one more time, but I want to go back to something you said about three shows ago. The number is 432-3893. Please call in. We do have that complimentary price back. But we talked about on the show before about that decision for you to stop using makeup. Mm -hmm. I mean, does, how did that come about? I mean, how does someone stop you know, worrying about how they look? And, and that was a really hard process because, I mean, I've, I was wearing... I started wearing like eyeliner and mascara probably in sixth grade, and then I am I was twenty years old I think twenty twenty one, mm -hmm. and since I was twelve I had been wearing makeup and and I went to a different country as as you mentioned Rhonda I went to Africa <laughs> See, it works I know I, I went to I went to Africa and it was just it was just so hot you just couldn't wear makeup because it just get everywhere and. And so I didn't, and then I came back, and I was having a discussion with my boyfriend, and I was just like, and I stopped blow-drying my hair and curling it because of the different outlet power. It would have just fried my hair. So yeah. I came back and started back into my old routine, and, and I was talking to him about it. I was like, you know, after coming back, I realized, like, why do I feel like I need to be painting my face, need to be shaping the way my eyes look and shaping the way my hair looks. Like, that just seems just a weird concept. And he's like, well, then why'd you do it? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I've just, I've, I've been curling the wisdom, my... The wisdom of men, right? Yeah. Why'd you do it? Because I, I started blow-drying and curling my hair when I was in fourth grade, started wearing makeup in sixth grade. And it's just a part of the Could day... Could you add up the time that you would have spent doing that I well, think well over that's what i'm getting to but yeah. because and then he said well why do you do it and i was like i don't know and he's like let's have a bet and see how far how long you can do it without makeup and so i went like a day and it felt really really awkward and then and then i wore it the next day and he's like what are you doing you can only go a day and then i went a week and then i wore it again and he called me out and then i went two weeks i wore it he called me out so after that i just stopped and um you know haven't really gone back so but did, he, and did you do it for your reasons or just because he called you out? it was it was almost a competition yeah. and and I thought in I remember watching like an Oprah show or something way back in the day where I think people had you know women had this challenge you know don't wear makeup for a month and they were just talking about their reactions like I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror and I was and I was just like you know I just feel like it's something that I just need to get used to and then it's fine and and we're talking about people that have to look at themselves in the mirror before they go out I rarely do that. You know, I'll get ready mm -hmm. in the morning, but before I leave the door, I don't really look at myself or throughout the day. Yeah, what if we all gave up our mirrors? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> Radical <laughs> ideas, Rana. <laughs> it's a lot for one show. <laughs> well, you know, we, uh, There's a challenge. Bring your mirror in and we'll give you a price pack. Oh, there you go. We'll trade you. Hey, you know, that's not, Bring your scale not a bad idea. Bring your scale. But, you know, we've <laughs> talked about before, that, you know, we've talked about finding health at any size. 
And so are, are you, are we really talking about you can find beauty at any size, and any shape, any orientation, don't, any ability? Don't we need a bigger, def, a broader definition of beauty <laughs> instead of how it's supposedly defined? Um, I think that's the biggest problem. We've allowed ourselves to get a narrow definition of it or to buy into that in some way. Whether we really want it or not, we feel like we have to. Or, um, And it's just sad because so many other things are beautiful if you just open up your eyes. And what's wrong that we can't look at ourselves and be okay with just who we are? I, mean, I think that's some, sort of at the crux of this. If we're all different, but we're all uniquely us, why is that not okay? And at what point do we lose the ability to have the self-esteem to be okay with that. So this might be a dark question, but uh, so how does body image affect uh, your sexual response or your relationships? How does, how does an individual's body image affect that? Does it affect the quality of the relationship, your ability to be in a relationship, your ability to be sexual with another person, or what? Definitely think it can, and Rhonda might have more personal first-hand anecdotal experience, but... Why is that, Erica? <laughs> no, just with him, I'm sorry. When what do you know meeting, about my life? No, when you're meeting with students about it, because um, I don't have a, you know, I don't interact with students that disclose that a lot, but, I mean, if you can't be comfortable with yourself and you're worried about the lights or no lights or, oh my gosh, she's going to touch my stomach or she's going to touch this lumpy part of my back, like, right. I, I don't know how easy it would be for just for someone to be happy and to truly... To be relaxed, to be actually relaxed. really be able right. to enjoy. Right. I think if you think yourself not worthy, you're more likely to settle in a relationship that you might settle for instead of really going after a relationship that you really want or someone that you really want a relationship with. Uh, even you might not even go for a medical visit to get contraception because you don't want to be weighed. Hmm. You know, I always tell students you don't have to get weighed <laughs> because you have the right to say no because that does keep people away. But all those things can add up to just feeling uncomfortable, and therefore you don't take care of yourself, and you don't take care of you're not in a relationship that you feel good about, but you feel like you have to settle for. You might not speak up if somebody is doing something inappropriate or uncomfortable sexually, and you don't feel comfortable because well, you want them to like you, you don't want them to notice your stomach when they're focused. You know, there can be so many things where you just don't articulate because you're just not comfortable communicating your own feelings because you don't feel worthy. You feel so lucky just to be in a relationship. And so, again, you're settling. So, I mean, those are the, some of the things that I hear from. A lot, too, about, like, um, sharing meals and food and dating and how can you go out to dinner and just sit down and just have a good time right. without and eat. And, eat. <laughs> and like it and be okay to try new things and not worry like oh my gosh we have to do 100 sit-ups now and now i have to run two more miles and and just to just yeah are we gonna have sex just be because okay. then maybe if i eat too much right, it'll be the right. wrong thing my stomach will stick <laughs> out okay. well eating, right. eating and sharing a meal was was supposed to be a sensual situation for couples and it's turned into more of a counting and, and guilt and you know I just saw a survey run that, that asked couples which, which question is asked in a relationship more was the sex satisfying last night or do I look fat in this which question do you think was asked more in a relationship mm. do I look fat in oh, this overwhelmingly. Really? Yeah. Yeah. overwhelmingly which there is not a good answer for oh god no <laughs> you never ever ever answer that question if people get roped into it I have this great card, um, card in my office where it has a woman walking along and she's asking her partner do I look fat in this and, and he's looking over and there's this bubble above his head and it says do I look stupid <laughs> it's the whole idea because the question really is to ask back why is it that you need to ask I want to go back to two points we had made earlier in the discussion. One was the idea of um, how your weight is also part of your genetics, what family you're born into, as well as the idea of, of, of food and, and intimacy. I worked um, with someone, I think two summers ago, who um, he who was, had a bigger build, but he was very, very, you know, he had you know big muscles and seemed very much... Um, you know, fit and in shape and everything. And he was talking to me and he's like, food is a huge issue. Like, you know, in order for me to stay this weight, lunch, just like a bowl of soup. Dinner, you know, something really, really small. And he's like, and if I just eat, like, the person sitting next to me, he's like, I will easily gain 10 pounds in a week or something, you know, something like that. And it's just a huge struggle for him just because of his genetics. And he was, he was saying, you know, it's my girlfriend's uh, it's her birthday this weekend, 
And what I do for her for her birthday is I go get um, dairy store ice cream with her because I will not go any other time of the of the year. But she's like, I just want you to be with me and just indulge for a moment, you know, because that would make me happy. And that was so, that was a that was a guy telling a story. So right. I guess that goes back to three points we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So it's really it's a sad. sad. Yeah. Story. It's really sad story. But there's there's a lot of stories out there. Oh. I mean, uh, we see it all the time. And I want to yeah. touch on one other one other quick issue here, Emily. That and before we move to Nick is, uh, I've heard a lot about uh, now. Not only is it personal appearance and body image, but now net image. How you look on Facebook, how mm. you look on, on, on your uh, sites. I mean, people are actually spending time oh, yeah. engineering how they look on right. Facebook. But you can do that. You can alter it. Right. You can yeah, alter. You can, you can alter. alter your image. And, and there's actually such a thing called net image now. That mm-hmm. is, people are just so worried about. Uh, have you seen that at all? I remember when MySpace came out in high school. You know, there was like those certain girls in high school. I forget. I don't know if they called them like MySpace whores or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if it was necessarily that was the right phrase, but I know that you there was a word. There was, there was, there. They called them something, but those girls that would, you know, mm-hmm. put pictures on specifically for their MySpace page, and then would morph the colors and morph their right. their figure and make them. And you didn't even look like them at that point. And that's all their Facebook was dedicated to was pictures of themselves looking, you know, super enhanced. Well, I've seen just in my Facebook experience in my 240 <laughs> friends uh, that the ones who change their profile. I, I go in there sometimes and watch how they change their profile, and I know the ones who who have somewhat of a body image situation or believe they have a body image situation, and they're usually inanimate objects they put up for their profile, or they put something else up, or they put their dog up, or they put something. Mm-hmm. That it's really not a picture of them, and they, they, they don't want a picture of them up there. Mm. And it's just amazing mm. to me that, that we'd go that far where we would try to create our image online. And everyone's looking at me like, oh. yeah, But doesn't that make sense? I mean, yeah, I it does know. make sense, but it just. Because that's the way that people communicate, and in, in many times instead of actually even in person. So that may be the only visible picture that somebody has of someone else, at least initially. So makes sense to me that they would want it to look perfect or how exactly they wanted it and you even see people that are really worried about their image and like work on their physical image i mean they work on their net image too <laughs> it is a, this a, take a lot of time? <laughs> so yeah. you can yeah you can even just tell that way as well i think i or, remember um a few years ago there was something going around and it was called like the angles, and they would talk about how oh that girl has the angles, meaning that okay, I don't know what this is. They would take certain like sides of mm-hmm. pictures of Four sides miles. of their face. Oh yeah, taken from above yeah. you to make you look thinner. Yeah, they're like mm-hmm. oh well she must really? not be attractive. Don't know about this. She's got, she's there were the videos angles. and everything. Oh, yeah, do it. That referenced it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Is that still being done, or is it not so? Oh, well, it's it's the look where where someone takes a picture of themselves, kind of up higher than their face at an angle, and they kind of purse their lips a little bit uh, to make them look like they have some more defined cheekbones. And you see that a lot. So is it like a calling out thing? Like you see them in person, and you're like, oh, they they have angles. Like how do you? How does this work? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Like, the videos that they used to put up on, like, YouTube would just say, like, you could just tell that since they had pictures like this, they're hiding what they really look like. Mm. Um, but it wasn't much like a, a you'd mm-hmm. see them in person and be like, that's what it is. You look really different. Yeah. But it is. I think people are spending time. It's, it's really interesting to watch them create their images on... on on Facebook, uh, but I do I do know we want to transition to our, our next guest. Yes, yeah, so let's take a, a, sh- a brief break right now, and uh, up next we'll be talking about LGBTQ issues. Thanks, Rhonda. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. 
But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on The Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now... Back to exposure. Welcome back to Impact Sexposure, which happens here at the Impact the first Tuesday of every month uh, between 7 and 8 p.m., where um, our friends from Own Health Center come to talk about um, sex, relationships, and as we talked about early body images. And now we'll be talking about LGBTQ issues. Our number is 432-3893, and we still have the Marie Prize Pack, which seems to be just kind of getting bigger as the larger hour goes on. Larger and larger. Twelve flavors of loops right. in there. We, sexual Attitude 101. Four different kinds of condoms. There aren't four different kinds of condoms. Well, yes, there are. There are the, yes, there are. All kinds of condoms. But we're talking about everything sex and sexual uh, on this program, and I was always happy to be here with you, Emily. Nick, we were, we were glad you came with us tonight. Mm-hmm. Thank we're, you. Uh, honored that you would join us. I know you're a busy man. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do with ASM and ASMSU and the group? Sure. Um, like I said earlier, I'm the chair of the Alliance of Queer and Ally Students, uh, which is the LGBTQ voice in student government through ASMSU, which is the undergraduate student government here. Um, and Alliance is kind of charged with doing a number of different things. Um, one, first, like I had said, you know, representing the voice in student government, but also we charge ourselves with uh, sponsoring programming that is based on activism, advocacy, and education. Um, so you'll see a lot of the programming that we do this year, um, we brought in a, a panel of out politicians from all over the state of Michigan, including Detroit City Council President Charles Pugh, um, and some other notable politicians from across the state. We also uh, are doing a series of queer studies brown bags um, every Friday or every other Friday, however that ends up working out, um, where we bring in faculty who discuss intersections of identity with uh, sexual identity, gender, uh, race, ethnicity, you know, religion, all of that. So it's really uh, that's really exceptional. Yeah, I'm curious to hear about some. What are the speakers like? Have you have you attended some of them yet? The brown bags. About, yeah. Um, we actually haven't started them yet. Okay. The first one will be on. Um, I believe November 12th, it's in a couple Fridays from now, um, and we'll be discussing uh, freshman issues regarding orientation and civility. Um, and so that's really fascinating. There was a, a professor out of uh, Briggs that was interested in doing that. We're going to have another one that discusses intersections of LGBTQ identities and Latino culture. Hmm. Um, and isn't Dr. Naoki, is she a visiting professor too? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nick, let me ask you, because sometimes in my profession I get really comfortable with semantics and words and stuff and I forget that other people out there may not necessarily understand so and I get a lot of questions about what does it mean to be queer and what does it mean to be an ally I mean both of those are in your title can you kind of explain to the listeners what that means sure Um, well I mean just go through Um, L is lesbian B bisexual G gay T transgender Um, there are also a number of other letters that you'll see used interchangeably Um, there's intersex, queer, questioning, ally, asexual, androgynous. Um, androgynous. So it's it's really expansive. Um, and what my personal preference is, I like to use the word queer um, because I think it, it, its use in academia is really inspiring to me in that it's it's the ultimate inclusive word. Um, which I mean, it gets into issue, issues of labeling. Um, what what you know, where some people want to escape that, but how would you define what queer is? Because because I've been I've heard it in a negative mm-hmm. context, and then right. in this context, sure. and, I, and I guess I've never really understood what that definition mm-hmm. is. It certainly has its you know its, some roots in in some sort of derogatory uh, contexts, but um, I, I look primarily to its use in academia. Um, just as, I guess, I, I just feel like it's so inspirational um, because it really does, in my opinion, unite a lot of different identities. Um, and it, it's also used in, you know, it, specifically within academia, uh, you know, specific theories on social construction, um, which is kind of my little niche in, in school here. So that's that's really what interests me. Well, we had, I had the... Uh 
the RBGT office had a uh, did a panel for me at LCC, and they mm -hmm. sent folks over there, and they used the same definition of queer that you're using, and it was it was very inclusive, and it, it, they felt a lot of respect in the word. But the other word that brought a lot of questions was, what, what is an ally, mm -hmm. and what does it mean to be an ally, oh, sure. Nick? Yeah. Um, I guess we had actually done a lot of ally work um, within PRISM, which is a, a group in South Complex here at MSU, um, an ally development, and we, we had kind of defined being an ally as someone who supports and promotes diversity and equality, someone who stands up for the rights and the rights to exist and to be who they are in public um, of LGBTIQQA identified persons, um, and someone who will challenge forms of discrimination within themselves as well. That's best definition I've heard. And so, so uh, what other programs are you doing on campus, Nick, as far as being involved with ASMSU? Sure. Um, in early November, we'll be bringing in Lieutenant Dan Choi, um, who was discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell from the Armed Forces. Uh, we're also looking at putting on some, or actually, I guess every year, we take a delegation to the Midwest Bisexual, Lesbian, Gay, and Ally College Conference. Um, and so we'll be doing that again this year. That's one of our big, our, our big draws. Um, and then we'll also be organizing uh, a gala to really recognize the collective accomplishments of the queer community and its allies, um, who are just a, an enormous part of, of our movement here. And how long has the Alliance of Queer and Ally Students been around mm -hmm. for? Uh, since 1970, so we are in our 41st year. Uh, yep. it, was, it, it originated as the... Gay Liberation Front here mm -hmm. at Michigan State University, and then became, I believe, the Gay Council, and then the Lesbian and Gay Council, yep. um, and then expanded to what it is today. So it has expanded. I've been here 25 years, and it's mm -hmm. expanded that that whole time. I've, I've seen it grow. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk on this campus, and there's been a lot of talk nationally too about bullying. Mm -hmm. But let's talk first about the, the climate survey. There was a climate survey done on campus, and it was a well well done mm -hmm. uh, survey. What can you tell us about not only a survey, but what do you think the climate is like on campus? Um, personally, I've had really positive experiences here on campus, um, and I think that the the LGBT climate survey really kind of is is more or less in line with that. I think compared to other institutions, Michigan State is doing fairly well, um, especially compared to institutions its size. Um, and really? with respect to the climate survey itself. Um, you know, we had over a thousand respondents, which is probably double what a lot of the other surveys are getting, um, even the ones that are administered by the same firm. Um, and they just did a national survey, so we do have data to kind of compare ourselves to other institutions. Um, and that was really remarkable. I think that, let's see, the, the vast majority of respondents answered affirmatively um, when asked if they would recommend Michigan State mm -hmm. to prospective um, LGBTQ students, faculty, staff, etc. And it was well received that, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of comment about the, the survey itself and how it was done, but there were some deficiencies in there too, and mm -hmm. one of them was addressing some of the health care for GLBT students and, and part of us Olin Health Center itself. Can you comment on that at all? Sure. Um, I think a lot of the, the concerns that people might have had, and I think this was in the qualitative portion of right. the survey, um, were really symptomatic of the broader issues throughout the state as we're organized in our insurance companies and whatnot. Um, you have issues of, of trans men who need pap smears, but that maybe not be covered by insurance. Um, hormone therapy is also not covered in a lot of instances. You have to kind of work your way through the system to get that to work. Um, so, the, I mean, oh, and then I guess the, the biggest one that always comes to me is my, my lesbian identified friends who say, you know, they went to Olin because they had the flu or whatever. Um, and they, they were repeatedly asked if they could be pregnant uh, when they're like, no, well, I don't have sex with men, so that's right. really not possible. Right. But, but they feel that it really gets pushed more than it should. Right. Um, and so, on, honestly, I think that's the only thing that I think is really an actionable item here at the university is kind of more sensitivity in the healthcare system. Um, in terms of uh, some more insurance things, that I think is something that maybe needs to be negotiated with the insurance companies. Um, and I think that's something that's coming. I would like to see it happen sooner, obviously. Nick, there's, a, there's also been questions and there's been uh, uh, requests for doing programs for for students uh, in the area of sex education and sexuality mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, what what 
can, what, what advice would you give to folks like us who are health educators in the field about what we should cover with students? Sure. Um, in the, the organizations that I've been involved in, we've actually brought Erica in a few times. Um, to, was, she, was she good? Oh, she was excellent. <laughs> she, was, she was marvelous. Um, we actually had assembled a panel of um, representatives from Olin, which included Erica, also representatives from Lawn. Um, the Lansing Area AIDS Network, and then Planned Parenthood, some other health organizations from around the state. Um, and the thing that I guess the only negative thing about this was sometimes, depending on the, the persons that were sent to us, sure. there was a, a notable deficiency in the, in the information that they had about specific to LGBTQ sexual relations. Um, and I, I remember one question specifically at an event that we had that was Sex in the Dark, um, where the, the girls, not Erica, um, that had come didn't interpret the questions properly because sure. they were experiencing it from a heterosexual point of view. Sure. Um, and that was really problematic. And so I kind of had to pipe up awkwardly about, you know, hey, I think that they meant when, you know, you're this partner in the in the sexual activity or whatever. So, so for our listeners that may not be familiar with Sex in the Dark, that may be off campus, can you explain what that is? Sure. Um, so, oh, Sex <laughs> in the Dark. <laughs> I'm not really sure how it started, um, to be honest with you. Um, you want me to chime in here? Yeah. <laughs> How did it start, Dean? All right, Sex in the Dark was a pro is a program. It actually uh, came out of uh, there's a, a well-known individual on this campus. Her name is Brenda, oh. and there used to be a program called Sex with Brenda. And Brenda is is a wonderful woman <laughs> who's well known on campus. Who <laughs> would go around to the uh, uh, different residence halls and. And uh, she would say, ask me any question you want about sex, you know, and they'd write them down and they'd do it. And it kind of morphed into, from sex with Brenda, since I'm not Brenda, and many of us who did it, we called sex in the dark. In other words, we didn't know what question was coming. We just, you could write down any question, we'd answer them. And and it's, you know, to be honest, it, it, it's a risky program sometimes because you never know what kind of question you're going to get. And sometimes the questions aren't the most appropriate. Hmm. And sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't know how to interpret them. Regardless uh, of who you're presenting. Regardless oh, yeah. of your position. <laughs> and, and so uh, we sent we folks out to do Sex in the Dark, and it's a program that we're, we've reevaluated and we'll probably do differently in the future just because you're not always equipped. Students are not, I'm not always equipped uh, to answer any question that might come out because sometimes <laughs> there's some good ones. Uh, <laughs> But that's what Sex in the Dark is. And yeah, we probably should <laughs> talk about that because I can see the headlines tomorrow on State News. Olin promotes Sex in the Dark. <laughs> Not the program. Not the program. <laughs> but, yeah. Nick, what, what advice would you give to, uh, uh, you know, I want to talk really quickly about the bullying situation. Mm -hmm. And I know we don't have a lot of time, but you know, that's, that's drawn a lot of attention nationally mm -hmm. uh, of, uh, you know, the uh, video that was put online of, of uh, a gentleman who was uh, involved in relationships uh, with his partner, and uh, it's caused a lot of fear. Do you want to comment on that at all? Sure. Um, I really feel like, I mean, these things happen all the time, right. and it, it's so unfortunate that it takes something like this string of incidents and, you know, the harassment of the student body president at University of Michigan to really yes. bring these kinds of things to light. But at the same time, I really feel like it's incumbent upon the communities to really harness that and actually make something good out of it. Bring attention to it and make sure that people know, you know, this is happening all the time. What what could we be doing better in our community, at our university, in our residence halls um, to make people feel more welcomed, more valued, more invited, you know, um, and, and hopefully in, avoid stuff like that in the future. Well, I, I hope that it's instances like those help to create allies. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, listening to your, your description of what an ally is, you know, this is a time when people should come out and say, you know, this shouldn't happen, this can happen, this is what we need to do. But, you know, we need folks like you to talk to us about what to do, because I think there are a lot of folks who don't know quite what to do. Even at Olin, you know, so folks will say, you know, what is it that I need to be trained or, or be sensitive about when individuals come in? Because sometimes they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, Go ahead. Uh, I just wondered if you wanted to touch at all any more about um, what we could be doing better. I mean, just kind of as a whole. I know we talked briefly about it as an institution, um, but just generally, if there's anything um, you know that we could do to make MSU a more accepting place and for we can, anyone. We can also everyone. open that up for our callers at 432-3893. Well, I think that... Um, I, th I think the wheels are in motion right now. What I really would have liked to see is an official response from the university, um, and this is something that I've 
I voice to a, a few administrators when I've had the opportunity to have an audience with them, is that you see these, these presidents and provosts and vice presidents from other universities come out and they send their students letters to all their students, graduate, undergraduate, you know, staff, right. saying, we don't condone these actions. We know we're not immune to this, this kind of problem. We want you to know that, you know, Michigan State University is a welcoming and open community and we do not at all condone these kinds of actions. Um, and so that's something that I've been a little disappointed in, but I think that the student community has really made up for it. Um, the student community was behind um, a couple of the vigils that have mm -hmm. come out recently um, with respect to the, the teen suicides, but also sexual violence issues that have been occurring here on campus. Um, the students are in charge of conversations in specific colleges. I know James Madison specifically um, is going to be hosting a program called What Would You Do based on the series um, from ABC where they'll be addressing, you know, what would you do if you saw an LGBTIQQA person you know, being harassed in public or in the context of your own college. I mean, these rumors are surfacing, and we don't necessarily know if they're founded in, like, in reality or if they're sensational, but I think it's incumbent upon us to take them very seriously. Um, so, you know, th those, are the, those are the wheels that are in motion right now. Very nice. You know, Nick, I almost think that, you know, the, the uh, climate survey that mm -hmm. came out, there are a lot of administrators who talked about, hey, we're doing so well, mm -hmm. that part of it is that we tend to rest on our laurels and when we get some good some right. good uh, feedback and you know because I know with the feedback that Olin got there's a lot of discussion happening now what are we going to sure. do to address this but the rest of the university kind of feels like hey we're doing pretty darn good here and so w did you did you also want a, an official response to the climate survey too from the university or do you think you, you, you've gotten that? Mm -hmm. um, I think that I wouldn't say that any sort of public response okay. would be warranted. Um, there are university officials involved in a working group that came out of this, um, and we're you know charged, and I'm, I'm part of this working group, so I kind of have a little more intimate knowledge of it. Uh, we're charged with really identifying actionable items that we can take out of the survey to make MSU a more inclusive and welcoming place to be. Um, and with respect to some of the you know more negative things, Olin wasn't the only one that came out of this with uh, with a few scratches. Um, there were certainly some colleges, um, and we're still mining all this data, sure, of course. Sure. But there were there were some specific colleges that also had some some more negative remarks in the qualitative portions of it. Um, and I think that what, what stuck out to me most that I guess I wasn't particularly surprised by was that um, you know transgender respondents felt not as comfortable. Um, and that's an area that we could improve in a, a lot. What do you mean by not as comfortable? In what context? It just ge in general? In, in general. I think in, in social context, I mean, you know, we don't have a lot... In the most populous buildings or the most trafficked buildings that we have, we don't have gender-neutral bathrooms, like in the library and the union. Those don't exist. Only in the remodeled versions. And certainly there are, you know, financial considerations to take into account. Um, and uh, the, maybe the lack of, of gender-neutral housing options... I think that the hoops that you have to go through to get a, a specific transgender housing, um, which does exist here, which is really good, um, is maybe a little off-putting sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I didn't know that there was a, a group put together that's actually going to respond and has actionable mm -hmm. items, and that's, that's good to know. But uh, we usually say this to all our guests. What, what would you, advice would you give to, or what would you say to students who are applying here, who are members of the queer community, that want to come to MSU? What advice would you give them? I think it's, I mean, just don't isolate yourself. It's, I, I did that the first week, and it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with my identity. I just didn't right. know anyone. Um, and I was a little terrified. But I think, you know, really get involved and kind of meet people. And if you don't like them, you don't have to hang out with them anymore. It's a campus of 46,000 people. <laughs> exactly. um, but eventually, you'll find the people you want. You'll find groups that you want to hang out in, and maybe they don't, maybe they're not LGBT groups. Maybe they're, you know, finance groups, accounting groups, engineering groups, whatever, special interest groups that are outside the academic, you know, realm. Um, you know, just kind of immerse yourself. And that's really difficult, and it's easy for me to say that because I always have been a little more outgoing. Um, but just kind no, of at least at, all, at least right? leave yourself open to it. Absolutely. I think because if 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 the doors open, then you know someone will creep in. Not maybe not creepily, but <laughs> I mean something will creep in, and you know you'll get yourself involved. Well, and going off of Emily's uh, comment just a second ago, if if a student feels threatened or bullied or feels any any uncomfortableness being here in a member of the queer community, who who can they talk to? Mm -hmm. They can talk to, they should be able to talk to any faculty or staff member. Um, I know there are, there are some specific resources that will get reported to anyway. Um, I think it, any incidents of LGBT harassment or bullying all gets reported to the LBGT Resource Center. Okay. Um, the Counseling Center is also an excellent resource, and they actually offer 
uh, a special group called Our Space for um, which is kind of a, a coming out group and if you want to talk about exploring your sexual identity, gender identity or anything like that um, and so it's really about kind of reaching out to those resources and I, I personally would have reached out to those first but if that's not what people are comfortable with you know, find a, a mentor or a, an assistant hall director or a faculty or staff member that you know, you're more comfortable with and they can put you in touch with the right people well, on the show, I have uh, Nick Faust. He's with the Alliance of Queer and Ally Students, as well as a crew from Olin Health Center to talk about relationships, health issues, body image, and as we were just talking about LGBTQ er, issues and communities. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Emily. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.